0: Today, we're talking to Roy from FinOut about healthy growth in the cloud and more. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. So that's the brief background about me and where I'm at.
1: Makes sense. Uh, Thank you. So brief about myself. So uh, uh, my name is Roy, co-founder and uh, CEO of FinOut, one of three partners. Like... uh, most of the Israeli entrepreneurs that you're probably talking to, I started my way in the Israeli military, uh, the intelligence unit, uh, kind of the, the NSA equivalent, spent there uh, around seven years. Uh, afterwards, I, I joined a company called Logs.io, uh, if you know them, it's like uh, the a data competitor. And I joined Logs.io when we were like uh, 10 people sitting in an old bridal salon in the port of Tel Aviv. So I really wanted to get, uh, you know, the full Israeli startup experience as far away as I can get from uh, that huge uh, military, uh, uh, you know, background, and I joined there as a DevOps engineer, uh, moved through a couple of positions within engineering. Uh, where the last one I was engineering director, uh, responsible for the entire Luxembourg infrastructure. So, all of the data that uh, goes in and out, uh, kind of uh, high-tech plumbing, uh, if you uh, if you will. So, managed a team of 30 something engineers, uh, you know, all uh, struggling to 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 make Logzio work at scale. And in there I wore uh, like two very contradicting uh, organizational hats, Uh, like one was in charge of the company's SLA, uh, so I needed to, uh, you know, to make sure that companies are getting their logs and metrics in time and every query is getting back uh, super fast and like everything's working in institute and that's usually required uh, spinning up uh, lots of infrastructure in order to support that. And on the other hand, I was in charge of, uh, you know, the cloud financial management, and I needed to make sure that we we're financially viable, which usually required reducing servers uh, in order to uh, to make everything, you know, work. So I was, uh, you know, debating with myself, constantly like, uh, do we need this instance, do we not need this instance, and this became like a pretty difficult dial to, uh, to tone, right, because infrastructure just became more and more complex as we uh, as we grown. So uh, we started to use more and more AWS managed services on more and more regions and then migrated some of the workload to Azure and then uh, purchased Akamai and uh, Twilio and MailChimp and uh, Stripe and a bunch of security products. And now I have like, a, like 50 different user based price software that I'm constantly paying and I'm not even controlling like uh, what the invoices that I'm going to get because those are based on the usage of uh, of my product based on my uh, uh, you know based on our customers, and suddenly like very uh, simple questions like uh, our AWS bill have gone up by five percent uh, is this good or not uh, started to became like uh, really complicated and uh, a lot more <laughs> complicated than we thought uh, and we wanted it to be, and when running a multi tenant environment we started to get questions like. Uh, how much do you pay for this specific customer? Uh, what's the price of that feature? What's uh, how was the was margin for that deal? What's the minimum pricing we can give? Uh, all sorts of questions that uh, we really, uh, really struggled to uh, to give answers with uh, with the current solutions in the market. And we decided that uh, we just need to, we need to go ahead and start and, uh, you know, build a company to solve that. And that's like uh, uh, the origin story of, uh, of yeah.
0: So it was born out of this Logs IO site?
1: Uh, so I uh, started there. Uh, you know, me, uh, one of my partners who were the product manager that uh, that was assigned to my group, and uh, we got uh, uh, joined by our CTO, uh, who was uh, the first employee in a company called Plunk. It's an insurance company in Israel that uh, we met in in the Israeli military. Uh, so uh, that uh, uh, that's like the, the initial team that started for
0: the Israeli military, the IDF. What did you learn through that experience about? how people work and how to manage and work with people.
1: So I think something very unique about, uh, about the Israeli military is that uh, you're uh, very young. You're drafted at 18. Uh, you don't understand anything of, of anything. And you're getting on, uh, you know, you can be either, uh, either sent to combat and uh, uh, that's a, a super difficult experience on its own. Or you can be sent to, uh, you know, to do technological stuff behind the scenes and support the, uh, the ones in combat then. You know, as, uh, as a DevOps engineer in the Israeli military, you know, 18 year old, you're responsible for systems that are, uh, uh, you know, can't be down because uh, like uh, if it were like someone's gone back. So uh, you have like tons of responsibility, uh, like very early on. And I think this is one of the uh, perfect catalysts, you know, for, uh, for what's happening now in terms of innovation in Israel. Like uh, you're uh, getting uh, lots of responsibility really, really early in your life. You have no adults around you. Like, everyone are super young. like, And uh, even, like, the, the commanders are in charge of you. are like, a uh, 40-year-old is, you know, one of the oldest ones out uh, there. And it's a very unique experience.
0: Yeah, I'm about 35 now, and... To think that 40 used to seem so old, right? They have all the answers. They know everything. They, and you would feel secure and confident around them. Now I look around at people who are, you know, 35, 40, and I go, like, uh-oh, we're, these are the <laughs> people in charge?
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I think on the other hand, it's, it's like a huge advantage because uh, uh, like the military is full of uh, young people who still don't know what's, uh, what's impossible. So they keep on trying. And they keep on making the same mistakes. And for a lot of times, it actually works. So it really creates like a big uh, innovation hub uh, with, uh, with the digital Like You're facing problems that, uh, you know, uh, a 50-year-old would tell you that it's impossible to solve and you should try something else. But uh, a 30-year-old doesn't know that. So you can try. And uh, I think that's to create something that is really unique.
0: And things are moving fast, too. I was talking with my wife last night about Chat GPT. I had seen a couple different videos on YouTube of engineers and other types of people using it. One individual wrote 12,000 books in one month that ranged from (laughs) children's books to fiction and nonfiction. Another person was showing how they could use it to assist them in writing code. They had a problem and they were able to feed it information and ask ChatGPT about solutions. And as I was watching these interactions on YouTube, I was just blown away. And so unfortunately, I I watched those videos at night before bed, right? So now my brain (laughs) is going. But I sat there and talked with my wife and I said, this is going to be something that is a massive Change. It's like the smartphone coming out. It's going to completely shape our society. But the one positive here, and I think you'll agree with me as an entrepreneur, is humans trade value with each other through the medium of currency, through money. We trade value. So that's been happening since caveman days, since groups of humans got together. That act will not stop happening so even if technology comes and automates things away, that money will just be reallocated to some other useful thing that humans can
1: do for each other.
0: So that idea calmed me down a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think uh the narrative AI is uh is really one of the uh it's going to be one of the biggest revolutions of our time. We still don't get the full extent of it like uh, it's uh it's still very very early on, uh, but uh it looks different than, uh, you know, what uh, people thought that the blockchain is going to be the next uh, next revolution. Uh, some still are. But that, uh, I think that Generative AI has like a, a real ability to impact uh, significant parts of our life. But obviously it's going to, uh, you know, lead to monetization at, at some point. Like the ability to uh, use machines in order to help humans to make a better, uh, faster, quicker job to be more productive and imagine like... Generate more revenue for for themselves, but still, everything is uh, always surrounding about uh, about money and currency. Like it's not it's not going to go away. Uh, not anytime soon, at least. But I think that uh, that AI have the capabilities of uh, you know helping uh, the smart humans generate more money, start so to uh, to be another catalyst in in technology.
0: That's exactly right, and I'm curious just like talk about money. I saw when I was doing my stalking of LinkedIn <laughs> on you. You had a big banner. You guys have raised 16 or 18 million dollars for this current project. Is that right? Yeah, uh, 18 and a half. Was that hard or easy? What, what was that? Was it a really difficult thing?
1: So uh, as an entrepreneur, you know that uh, raising money is never uh, an easy or a fun task to dip, you know, even in, in the high tides of, uh, of 21. But I think, uh, you know, when you have... Uh, when you have a real problem uh, that you're solving, and you have a real pain uh, that uh, that you're servicing, and you have customers that are willing to pay for that pain that that you're creating, so uh, fundraising is uh, is a bit less intimidating. You know, it's never uh, it's never an easy task, but uh, I think it was uh, when you're fundraising, you're learning so much about yourself, about the company, you're getting a 360 view of uh, of everything that's happening, of all the weak spots in in your business, of exactly uh, you know raw feedback on, on what's your uh, what you're doing and I think that uh, we learned uh, so much from, uh, from each of the round and like I'm looking for the next one for uh, kind of for that purpose as well.
0: It is a very difficult thing and one of the reasons why I brought it up was because you mentioned that you are a divestiture or a spin out of this other company so you were working with this team, you had success scaling this logs company, you found a problem inside of that company that many other companies were experiencing. you built this solution thin out to help cloud observability and cost. And I was just wondering, you know if you guys had gotten your initial of investors from the logs company or from the investors involved with the logs company, did that make it a little bit easier or did you just go get brand new outside investors?
1: um so uh, when we started to uh uh started to find out we uh quit our job you know we did a very uh a very clean cut you know we gave her a uh, long notice and uh, started to uh uh to have a bunch of uh, conversations but uh, the logs CEO actually uh helped us a lot in uh, you know with uh, with the intros and uh, accompanied us with uh, with the devices and uh uh, uh we're still uh, we're still talking from uh, from time to time they're sitting a few floors above us now <laughs> and they are our customers so uh it's really uh it really makes all the difference, you know, uh, when uh, when you want to leave a company, start to your own company, so keeping good terms with uh, uh with your former employer, uh, making everything uh, you know, smooth and your transition smooth. And I think uh like eventually I'd really be uh, you know, thrilled as an entrepreneur to grow more entrepreneurs with and within, uh, within Finan. So if one of my employees is, you know, gonna start his own company or his or she, or her company, like I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to do everything I can in order to help them. And like, uh, I would be so proud to have a company spin out of it.
0: Where did you learn that behavior?
1: So I think uh, uh, Luxio was uh, one of, uh, uh, you know, uh, I really grew working together with the company from 10 employees to 150. Like, I really saw lots of, uh, lots of the definitions. I also grew up with a CEO mom, you know, that uh, you always see career, you always see, uh, you know, folks that are doing something and really, uh, I really wanting to achieve and, and run super uh super fast in a super achieving environment. So this uh I guess always uh like gave me that uh, gave me the direction and gave me that uh, you know uh will and and desire and uh that.
0: Well, especially if you, you said you had a CEO mom who was in it, so you grew up around it and it's kind of hard to be in those environments and And not be successful because you watch their behaviors, you watch their habits and their patterns and how they think, their mindset. You know, I meet people all the time who their parents are military, so they have a high level of discipline or they were in sports, so they have a high level of discipline. And I'm assuming that you got your discipline just from the culture of of your mom and then being a part of the IDF.
1: Yes, I think, uh, you know, and growing in Israel is, uh, is an experience on its own. And uh, you know, in the army you're getting uh through a very specific path, uh, you learned uh, you know, uh, when you should think, when you should not think, um, and uh start to uh, start to get more uh, more disciplined. But uh all in all I think it's uh, it's a matter of uh, of education, of the environment that you grew up, of uh, who your friends are, who your family are, or your role models, you know, uh, growing up that really shapes you to be uh, to be the person that you are.
0: Has your mom given you any advice on how to be A founder or a C-suite executive and grow a family.
1: So uh, you know, I I really experienced it on. (laughs) On the other hand, of uh, mom always working and uh, always travels, and uh, you know, some of the part that I'm I'm taking to uh, to myself now of uh, how to how to balance uh, my my time at work versus uh, uh, you know my time uh, my time at home. I obviously need to travel a lot and what's uh, uh how's my fiance gonna feel and how i'm gonna continue to uh to be there and to be present even if i'm uh if i'm away and you know when it's time to, uh, to start a family that's a uh, uh, part of the core concept that i'm uh that i'm gonna adopt because like I, I grew up to this situation like uh, i experienced what it means to have uh assist with uh parent and uh i need to i need to make sure that i'm i'm balancing between uh, between the two were you uh,
0: together with your fiance before you started this company, uh, yeah. How was she as far as supporting you and helping you through the decision to start your own company? How did that
1: go? So she is uh, super supportive. Uh, I don't think there is a uh, there's any other uh, other way to do that. Like if you don't get your support and approval from from your home, from your base, from uh, you know when uh, when times are tough, it's almost uh, almost impossible. And uh, happy that she was. Uh, you Know so on board of this and uh really uh really pushed me through uh through hard times and uh she's uh you know bearing up with uh with all the nonsense and the long hours and uh me uh you know traveling uh, traveling a lot and it's based on you know good communications and high level of trust and uh you know the, the understanding that down with it's, it's an episode of our lives and uh we'll see what's uh what's the next one holds. Now it's my turn to, uh, you know, to run and to and to achieve, and then it will be her turn to uh, to run and achieve. And we're supporting one another, and we're communicating well. That's uh, that's important.
0: Yeah, that's how my wife and I we look at it. We're best friends. We're a team, and we look at our different skill sets and say, how can we do the best that we can do at life, given how we're both gifted. And we it takes a lot of work to. S- to shut out the culture and what people are telling you, you should be doing or how things should be and really just create your, your home cocoon, right? Your home base, like you said, which I loved and decide what's right for, for your base. And I think that uh, if people did that more, we would get a, a better, a better culture as a whole. So I, I like you. Thank you for, for doing that. (laughs) Thanks. So, as far as leadership advice goes, what is the best piece of leadership advice that you ever received, and then it stuck with you for a long period
1: of time? And the Air CEO told me that in my first uh, first interview, there's uh, something uh, that he calls uh, the the beer test, and uh, you know, uh, with each candidate that you're uh, that you're hiring, uh, you need to make sure that uh, you think it's going to be fun to uh, to grab a beer, uh, you know, after work uh, together with them and. It's a statement that is really, uh, you need to adapt it a bit to make sure that it does not affect inclusion and it does not uh, affect you hiring people that are very different than you. But I started to to think about it a lot. And you see, when like, uh, even there's someone completely different than me, you know, uh, different cultures, different religion, different anything, but you feel that that's going to be an interesting person to talk to and uh, you're going to spend a lot of your waking hours together with them. If that the answer is going to be no, like uh, it's... uh, it's going to be impossible to spend time out of the fork together with them. So this might be, uh, you know, a wrong person uh, to to hire for your uh, for your current existing culture. And while you grow, culture starts to evolve, starts to get you know uh, to more and more uh, more and more shapes and sizes for our different parts of the organization. And it's okay, you know, to start and expand that. But if uh, you end up bringing a bunch of different people that uh, have no cultural value uh, together uh, with uh, with one another, and making sure that you're not compromising on inclusion. Uh, I think that's one of the most important stuff to uh, you know when building a company, especially small.
0: We think about that with our clients too, because <laughs> <laughs> like, you have to spend a lot of time, you know, with your clients and working together. So I like the beer test. I've I've found that to be true in in my life as well. I agree. I've never met somebody who I think to myself, I don't want to have a beer with that person, and then it turned out to be a great working relationship. <laughs> I I agree. <laughs> All right. What I am most curious about is to better understand why people are looking to save money with the cloud costs. So I'm going to ask you a bunch of different questions. If I hit a wall or an area that's too deep, just say, oh, I don't know, because I don't know how much you know about cloud costs. I'm going to ask <laughs> you a bunch of stuff like a like a small child. Sure. Now, I imagine that if I was looking at your company like an investor, I'd be attracted to it. Mostly because the more successful CEOs are making cuts and becoming lean right now because of the economy and and what's happening and the overall uncertainty that, that exists in the marketplace, right? And so I would imagine that a tool like yours that helps with being able to observe cost, track, spend... You'll probably explain it better than me, uh, but it looked really cool when I watched the video on your homepage. But when I saw it, I said, "Okay, a tool like this is probably going to gain a lot of market traction in a downturn." Have you seen that? Is that true?
1: Yeah, so uh, we see a lot more demand, uh, you know, in the past best uh, two uh, two quarters than, uh, than what we've seen before. And you know, when you look at the balance sheet of a company, uh, oftentimes uh, you know salary is the uh, uh, is the the first line, and uh, infrastructure expense is the second one. Infrastructure expense is uh, is also you know a runway uh, uh, you know extender, but it's uh, more importantly than that the number one thing that affects your bottom line. And uh, because you're when you're measuring cost of sale, you need to make sure that uh, you know you're selling software. Uh, Significantly uh, more expensive than what it costs you to uh, to generate it, and if your uh, your cloud costs are getting out of control, or uh, in uh, the worst and uh, a lot a uh, lot more common case, uh, losing touch with your revenue, I meaning that your cloud costs is growing in a higher rate, uh, this uh, not only means that uh, uh, you're in a bad place now, but that you don't have any business viability as a company and you don't have a future. And this is where, uh, you know, companies, uh, more and more companies are starting to understand that in order to, uh, you know, to draw this path to profitability, it's, uh, it, it's not going to happen by firing, uh, you know, the representative company. It's not going to happen by uh, cutting down your uh, cloud cost by 10 or 20%. It's going to happen when you're, uh, you know, you're going to double your revenue, but you're going to increase your infrastructure expense only by 30 to 40%. This is like where you can start to uh, to have the economy of scale to uh, to kick in, and uh, you can uh, really show like a, this is like a, the the deals that I sold was in bad, bad margin. I know that, but look at what's going to happen next, and look at how I'm going to improve as a company, and look at my path, and look at the uh, you know improving uh, uh, year over year uh, uh, with uh, with with the deal size and and uh, uh, and viability that I have as a business. And I think this is a, a huge trend that uh, that is happening right now in the market, like. Everyone are talking about the uh, path to profitability, everyone are talking about designing, you know, for uh, for the future, improving uh, uh, the bottom line, not only the top line, and uh, becoming more uh, more efficient and keeping it up as, uh, uh, you know, when uh, we're designing to efficiency. So, uh, economy of scale is not uh, a magic thing. Uh, so, if you're going to grow as a business, it doesn't mean that your gross margin is going to improve. Uh, look at Twilio, it's a prime example for that. It's happening when you're uh, you're really working on it and you're implementing a culture uh, within your organization that is really, uh, you know, cooperative and uh, creating uh, a responsibility for, uh, for cloud costs. So really the same as we did with DevOps that improved SLA. So DevOps uh, is improving our, our financial management. And I think it's one of the biggest trends that's going to happen in 2023.
0: Now, is it just a way to view and analyze and observe cost or do you offer suggestions about how to reduce the cost?
1: So obviously when you start, you, know, you don't have anything, uh, you you have a bunch of money that is uh, just laying down on the floor, right? You have unused instances, you have uh, over-provisioned databases, you have uh, disks that are too big, you have uh, Kubernetes that is poorly managed. Uh, so there's a bunch of stuff that you can uh, uh, just do in order to lower down your cost. And that's, this is something that uh, obviously FinOut uh, helps with. And when you start to, uh, you know, to look uh, The few months, a few months later, we uh, we need to start to to make sure that we're growing healthy. And uh, growing healthy means that uh, we keep correlation between uh, our KPIs and our costs. Uh, So essentially, the uh, the unit cost, how much money does it cost us to produce produce this unit that we're selling, is remaining constant or even decreasing with time. Because it's okay to spend more money to cloud providers. And this is the basic paradigm of this world, right? We're paying more money for the cloud providers every month. Uh, We don't have any way around this. Uh, But we want to make sure that we're uh, we're spending at the right uh, right time. And uh, Black Friday is not an anomaly. It's a day that everyone needs to, you know, spin up more servers in order to support more traffic. Like, it's a worldwide issue. But as long as I brought in more revenue for my company, like... Everything is okay, and uh, it's something that is very hard to measure over time. And uh, having a tool like uh, like Fina that helps you to you know to track down your unit cost and convert them into your unit economics and really explain your uh, your growth and make sure that both finance and engineers uh, speaks in the same language instead of you know uh, constantly pointing fingers to one another is the path to like long term observability and savings.
0: Now, is your customer coming from? The CFO wanting to be able to have more insight into cost, or is it the CTO or CIO that are trying to get their own cost in line? How are you seeing this originate within your companies, uh, within your customers?
1: So we see demand from uh, from both sides. You know, so uh, uh, CFOs are uh, uh, underpowered uh, with uh, with uh, modern companies like that. They're. Uh, uh, they're looking at the ERP systems, they have uh, five lines that says coffee and one that says cloud cost, uh, which is uh, like absurd. They don't have anything uh, and they can't really deal with uh, with engineers, right? Engineers can just tell them, uh, no, Kubernetes, and uh, they, they can deal with, you know, this kind of curse words. <laughs> but uh, on the that. other way, uh, engineers are getting, like, constant requests from finance, like, why did this grow? Why did this grow? Why did this grow? And uh, again, because the cloud expense is growing month over month, uh, engineers need to keep on explaining to finance, like, what you're doing. And uh, we found that uh, we can be uh, really beneficial for uh, for both sides. So, uh, you know, if you're talking to, uh, to DevOps, like, we can help you get uh, finance off your back. Like, we can help you give the answers that you look for and continue to run fast and innovate. Like, we are—you uh, uh, don't think of we'll Finout thin as, uh, as a big brother, uh, you know, kind of solution. The other way around, like we get you back. Just run as fast as you want. We'll let you know once uh, once it's bad. Once you, know, once you need to take actions, and we'll be able to, uh, you know, show finance what, uh, what you're doing in order to, uh, you know, to stop them nagging you. And uh, talking to finance is exactly uh, the opposite story. But uh, still, it's one system that serves uh, that serves them both.
0: I love that. That was the best explanation of what the company does. I, I loved it. So has has any customers come to you that were just the CFO came to you, or is it mostly through the technology teams?
1: So uh, we got uh, we started uh, talking mainly to uh, to CFOs, but uh, you know because uh, DevOps are uh, you know one of uh, and I'll say it uh, gently uh, the most difficult personas in uh, uh, you know in the cost of the, in, in the engineering world. When DevOps got a system that, uh, you know, was brought to them by the CFO or finance, uh, they immediately said like, uh, no, (laughs) this is uh, something that's going to watch my back. Uh, I want to do my job. I don't need a solution like that. And it's like, it's going to be harder. Uh, So it really depends on the organizational uh, culture and the way that, uh, you know, who is the right persona that we're talking to. But uh, we oftentimes, you know, when running sales cycles, we're talking both to engineering and the finance departments as well, because like we need to buy in from, uh, from both. It's often uh, like a, a relatively easy to show, uh, you know, each persona their uh, their own value, which is usually like exactly the opposite from, uh, uh, you know, from the other one. But it's easier to get for organization through engineering to finance rather the other way around because of, uh, uh, you know, DevOps being uh, kind of uh, stiff.
0: Yeah, that's putting it lightly. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm trying to get back. We love DevOps. We love you guys. You're like the the technology cops of the company. (laughs) Woo. (laughs) Woo. Okay, I have a question about, I'll tell you a short story. So we use Zapier for task automation. And the other day we were talking about cost and my wife overheard the conversation and she asked me later, she said, hey, why wouldn't you switch from Zapier to this alternative provider if you could save $7,500 a year? And I said, well, because that's a system that runs $2 million of revenue. And for me to move something to save $7,500, for me to mess with that system, the cost of the personnel to move the system and the training and the potential downtime or sort of hidden bugs that we'd find out six months down the road. We Not as much outreach was going out when we saw our sales numbers drop. Or, there's so many reasons why we wouldn't mess with that just to save $7,500 a year. And that got me thinking as I knew we were going to have our conversation. And I was curious how much money has to be saved before someone takes action and and does something like buy a system like yours, like how how much money does that? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you do you guys know that over there? Do you have any data on it?
1: So I don't think that they have any concrete kind of uh, kind of number, but it really depends on the you know the journey uh, that the company has. So if it's a seed stage company that have like a uh, you know few million dollars in the bank, like uh, and spending uh, uh, over twenty uh, k on, on AWS uh, services a month, like that's a it's a huge expense that they need to work on optimizing. And you know, if it's a it's a big company that is uh, you know spending uh, millions of dollars, it's also a huge expense. But from time to time, you see like there is a very funded company that uh, has like a uh, lots of money or public, and they don't really care. They're spending like a relatively low amount on on cloud expense. But uh, those companies as well starts to start to think about uh, you know optimization uh, from the reasons that I talked about before, like uh, improving the uh, the bottom line. Because like uh, if you can save more money in cloud expense, you can improve your gross margin by another point which can be uh, which can be crucial and i think that's a topic that's going to draw more and more attention over the next couple of years uh you can be more sustainable so if you're just wasting money on cloud resources and uh, it means that you're you have servers that are running and consuming electricity and polluting and uh, they're doing uh, nothing uh and you don't make you know enough money and you don't have uh, you know justification as a business to uh, to run and we see more and more companies that starts to measure their, uh, uh, you know, pollution. Once it start to get to uh, to net zero uh, carbon neutral, and to do that, uh, they need to be aware of uh, of cloud costs, which starts to be one of the biggest polluters that, uh, uh, you know, that the company is running.
0: Yeah, we're both running computers right now, <laughs> <laughs> so they're not making a cost your system is an observability system that plugs in through read-only permissions to the different providers, right? So it's not like they're switching, in my example, from Zapier to this other service. They're not switching from one observability service to this other service. But they are integrating this with their read-only permissions, and you get access to see the configuration and all of that. Now, do you... Let them know what the pricing difference is between the provider they're on and other providers. Do you do any of that insight saying if you were to run this workload over at, you know, GCM or you were to run this at Azure or uh, Amazon, that the price difference would be A, B or C?
1: So that's a future uh, roadmap item, you know, to uh, to help companies with uh, what if scenarios but uh, even on, on on the same uh, on the same cloud, like if you get uh, you get an anomaly or you're seeing something that is acting differently, like it's okay not to take action. like uh, you said you have a very uh, you know a uh, uh, very explanatory reason to why you're not gonna switch from Zapier, but at least you know that uh, like you took the decision. Uh, but uh, what if you're uh, you know uh, you gonna end up to figure out that you can save uh, uh, you know tons of money and you didn't even know that it was an option so. We believe that the solution like Fianna is responsible to, uh, to have the discussion, right? So we're gonna surface a discussion item. You can take it, you can leave it, you can decide what you want to do, but it's a discussion that you should have. Uh, it's okay to take no action and it's gonna be a very short discussion. Being blind to, uh, to options being blind to saving opportunities and uh, whatever you can, uh, you can do throughout, uh, it's a less ideal kind of uh, solution.
0: For preparing for this, I started researching cloud growth. And what I found is that that's somewhat of an ambiguous term because you have the growth of the cloud versus on-prem market share. You have the growth of, as far as the financials look, for publicly traded companies, what's the growth there? How much larger are they than last year? And then you have the growth of the physical data. How many teraflops are, are you producing? And how much more are you going to be producing in your world when people on an everyday basis are just using the term cloud growth, what are they referring to?
1: So, I think this is one of uh, the most difficult terms to, uh, to actually measure. Uh, because, like, if we would have, uh, uh, you know, AWS as it's, its own public company, that would be significantly easier. But uh, AWS is part of uh, Amazon and GCP is part of uh, Google and Azure is part of Microsoft, and they're not like sharing that specific cloud cost. So, it's very hard to measure the, uh, the cloud growth, uh, you know, as a, as a whole. So we can try to extrapolate based on uh, based on data, based on teraflops, as you mentioned before. We can start to uh, to separate based on uh, stuff. Uh, Gartner is uh, usually spending a lot of time in that. They uh, have a, a cloud growth uh, metrics every uh, every year. What uh, what Gartner says is that like uh, uh, it's gonna be until 2025 that 50 uh, percent uh, of the workloads has gonna be migrated to the cloud. So digital transformation is uh, is not even halfway there yet so i think like everything that we just seen happening on cloud it's 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 nearly halfway uh so it's uh uh it's amazing how much more those company have how much more workloads are still uh uh you know traditional and uh i think the entire uh you know migrate from uh, from capex to opex and really change the way that uh uh, we consume buy, and uh uh, you know deal with uh, with the infrastructure and Again, finance doesn't have like an, uh, uh, an RFP to buy servers and then, you know, uh, deprecate them for uh, for X amount of years and uh, everything that makes sense in the financial world. Now, everything is built by the second. And now what assets do you have as a company is a question that, you know, its answer is changing every uh, every couple of seconds. And then that's uh, if you can even tell that So... We are experiencing, uh, I think, a fundamental change in the way that that we manage our uh, our financials uh, within our uh, within companies. And uh, we're going to see a lot more challenges in the next couple of years that are uh, going to accompany that uh, migration from CapEx to OPEX and, and the move to, uh, to usage-based pricing.
0: I'll check out that Gartner cloud growth metrics. I think that'll answer answer a lot of the, the questions I have about it growing. And one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up is because I... Do research and I read articles online and people are talking about how cloud growth is slowing. Then I do interviews with some of the people that control massive amounts of data, some of the largest data providers on the planet. And they tell me that the thing that they're spending most of their time on is figuring out how to move massive amounts of data overnight around the globe and the growth of that data. And so I'm like, I talk to the practitioners, they're saying that the data is growing at such a rate, it's the most important thing that they're trying to figure out how to deal with it. And I open up and I see the financial people in some different articles talking about how the cl- cloud growth is slowing. And my mind just kind of says, there's a, what's going on here. What don't I understand?
1: So I think there's a lot of difference between a new business and existing business in, in cloud expenses and... Uh, we can see that uh, a lot more companies are more cost conscious. So it's not that they're not growing, they're just growing healthier. Uh, so uh, they're consuming cloud resources in a, a more sparse way, they're uh, a lot more optimized. Like I think uh, the last test, I don't remember where to word it, and don't catch me in the number, but something around 30 something percent is uh, just waste. So you can cut down, uh, you know, even on cloud growth, but uh, you're not going to change anything in the way that you operate, just then turn off something that is unused. Uh, so companies are getting more and more efficient with utilizing clouds, especially, you know, in this macro environment when they need to uh, to make sure that they're not overspending. And uh, while doing that, like uh, I think I know it's the first quarter that uh, uh cloud uh, has, uh, has like slowed down a bit, but I think it's artificial because of the way that we're just utilizing the cloud rather than, you know, big environment changes, uh, like people still migrating to the cloud. But enterprises have slowed down a bit on on the cloud uh, cloud migration. Like everyone stopped doing uh, crazy things in in 2023. Like everyone wants to watch uh, what's uh, what's going to happen before you know dumping a uh, lot of money into innovation and uh, and transformation uh, uh, stuff. But it's a uh, it's a blip in time, and uh, in my opinion, it's gonna gonna increase and um, dramatically increase in the future.
0: Yeah, I think 2023 will do well. We're in the quarter one right now. I- everybody's a little bit scared and uncertain but regardless of if the results are good or bad at the end of quarter one I think the anxiety will be relieved (laughs) because once you know it's bad you can run the bad plan and once you know it's good you can run the good plan but when it's uncertainty that's a tough one to that's that's a hold type plan right it's a it's a difficult one yeah any good stories that you have of your customers that love you that have used your product and think it's fantastic
1: yeah, sure. So uh, we, in fact, you can get uh, all the way to, uh, to cost per customer. So we can uh, create those uh, unit economics that we talked about before and then allocate it back to to the customer based on the proportional usage of those unit economics. And essentially we sit on, uh, you know, in junction of uh, we see both the usage information and the cost information and the BI and, uh, you know, cap information as well. So uh, we have uh, one uh, one customer that we actually help them identify where uh, you know uh, customers are spending uh, too less of money to this company because they're using more of what the contract that they actually got sold to, and the delta number you know of, uh, of the actually units that they did consume multiplied by that unit price, uh, we can see how much money is actually uh, uh, you know is being unaccounted for. And when you're calculating your margins, you can say like, okay, if I'm gonna charge all my customers what they're actually owing me, like this is what the impact is gonna have on my top line. This is the impact that it's gonna have on my on my margins. So it's an amazing use case to, to use, Finout, not only you know to lower down your cloud costs, but actually uh, you know growing up your bottom line as well, uh, your top line as well, because we can help them uh, you know have strong be stronger with negotiation with uh, their customers, you know, when uh, when it comes to renewals uh get smarter uh uh decisions. I uh, see like uh, which uh, maybe there is a sales rep that's closing at uh you know drastically lower rates than than the others and something is not working. Uh, maybe there's a customer that is underusing the product and we can discount them uh you know even proactively to something that customers usually really love. So uh uh option uh you know something that uh really uh, can can connect uh, go to market uh into uh uh, into those engineering are uh, uh, usually the only discussions and uh, get uh, the true insights on on profitability and what, uh, what can be done.
0: All right. So future of cloud. Let's think really, really big. What will the cloud look like in five years?
1: Wow, it's a big one. So I think that uh, we're starting to see a trend where uh, the big cloud providers are getting too big and uh, they're starting to do scraps graphs like AWS, AWS can't do everything the best uh so uh snowflake got a significant share out of their uh uh you know uh, uh, data warehouses and uh, DataLog data log got a significant share out of the monitoring and uh come out to the end and it's continued to it's, this is going to continue to happen and i think that uh in, in a couple of years you're going to start to see that trend happening again to those uh you know secondary companies so data log is starting to get too big and snowflake is starting to get too big. And the same that AWS uh is actually sponsor uh you know of, of Snowflake because it's eventually like kind of a sub-zero game. Like AWS is getting the consumption on Snowflake and, uh, and she doesn't really care, you know, if they're getting the direct revenue or indirect revenue. They understand it in order to be big enough they have to support indirect revenue as well. So Snowflake is gonna happen to uh to start and do the same as well. So solutions are gonna build on top of Snowflake, they're gonna you know allow that that functionality to happen and Snowflake is gonna start to endorse them as well. So I think that we're gonna see uh, that third layer uh starting to uh uh starting to happen and uh companies are uh, already are uh, not super scared about uh, purchasing the infrastructure from multiple providers that's a partner that changed a bit uh as long as they have like a consolidating way of of managing everything and consolidating way of uh, viewing the buildings, consolidated way of monitoring. But it's okay to purchase you know the best solution for uh for the job and I think that uh, uh, you know we're going to see more and more uh, abstract solution running on top of that that uh, is really servicing uh, uh, you know the best uh, the best of breed uh, kind of uh, kind of approach and companies adopting uh, uh, and increasing the circles of uh, you know of their cloud consumption.
0: And then, how does FinOut play into
1: that? So I think one of the the main challenges that this uh, kind of uh, kind of environment holds is first like. What's the best vendor that uh, we need to choose for our use case? And second is, like, uh, how can we consolidate everything? As we believe, like, uh, we built a concept in Finot called Megabill. Uh, so just one huge build that gets all your user base price software. We don't really care where it's originated. So in my vision, like, is going to be integrated with any of those vendors. You can have a uh, add to FinOt Megabill from, uh, from every billing console that, uh, that every vendor is going to have. It's going to jump directly into your uh, uh you know uh, uh certified solution for uh, for your organization fine is going to be a combat for you're not going to deal with invoicing on or anything like everything gonna just flow through fino you know? and we will be able to help you run those uh, what-if scenarios that uh, as you talked about before look so for your specific use case this is what you can do this is the best solution you can and you can purchase and start really to uh, get the funnel uh with uh you know cloud cost management is one but I think, you know, the more obstruction there is uh, we need to pass through. We already, you know, uh, experience in the second layer. And uh, when you get to the third, it's going to be harder and harder. Uh, so uh, the more upstream we will, uh, we will, you know, go, the more companies we can service and uh, uh, the bigger we can get on servicing and uh, really, uh, and I know it's a really big name, but uh, act as the cloud native ERP extension.
0: Now, if people want to go experience the software for themselves, where do they go?
1: So uh, uh, Finout.io, they can ask for uh, for a free trial. Uh, we let them real quick, and then they can start to uh, uh, to onboard themselves, uh, play around with Finout. Uh, we have a uh, very uh, low entry point uh, in terms of uh, pricing, you know, for uh, for companies, and uh, we're uh, uh, the most competitive price solution in the market yet. We tend to be the uh, the most advanced one, uh, and really building uh, uh, super quickly. You know, we're playing the we're Israeli card. So are we running uh, running really really fast and innovate and uh, really break uh, uh, break everything we can just to to deliver the product that uh, we wanted to use uh, when we used our competitors I
0: love it, I love it, and I know you guys are going to be successful when I saw your your pricing I said that 's completely reasonable any company that has these large bills, the value of having mega bill, which it doesn't sound like something that you want on the surface. Like, do you want mega It's Like, I don't want a (laughs) mega bill, but when you see what it is, okay. Yeah. It's, it's giving me a bunch of insight to my bill versus just servers cost X, you know, this is, this is awesome. I think you guys are going to do fantastic. And I look forward to, to watching you go from 30 or 40 people to 200 people to 500 people.
1: It's going to be great. Thank you, Joel. Thank you so much for those words.
0: Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.